0: Some of you may have heard about the celebration, better, commemoration. I think the word might be best said, commemoration in Hampton, Virginia, to mark the first arrival of slaves in North America. You may have heard there were found to be 104 unmarked graves of persons who descended from Angola, Africa. The superintendent of that particular lot that uh, marked the graves, the, the unmarked graves, if you will, said that it was important to remember the history. His exact words were, for that family cemetery of 2.2 acres. The superintendent said, slavery and race is a difficult subject for this nation, but I want to remind the entire nation that a great country remembers its history and embraces the complexities of it. So I don't know if you heard about that happening this weekend, but that might be something that will point you to Again, another point in our nation's history. The former administration named that place, Fort Monroe, as a national monument recognizing its role in American history. And the current administration has, in terms of a national level, pulled together and named a commission to plan and develop carry out programs highlighting the contributions of African Americans to American life. Yes, I remember that this year marks the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first ship carrying human cargo from the mother continent of Africa and arrived at Point Comfort, Virginia. Now around that Hampton area and that celebration, this arrival took place on August 30th, 1619. And yes, when departing the coast of Africa, there were an estimated 350 or so human cargo aboard ship. But unfortunately, of course, there were many raids, and after the raids, the pirates, and a tumultuous journey over rough seas, there were only approximately 20 or so humans who arrived on these shores. Yes, you won't see many celebrations of the vilest example of human degradation with waving banners and horns and whistleblowers, party favors and confetti, the there is no remembrance of the middle passage encouraged on a national level. In fact, this has been so uncomfortable for the growth of this nation until we are still unable to have rational conversations about race on a local and national level. The racial underpinnings of this country's success as a global leader are the same issues that prevent us from having real discussions in private, amongst friends, at work, and sometimes even at church about the experiences for African Americans and, yes, even other darker-hued citizens. As Africans were enslaved and loaded as human cargo, the Atlantic slave trade has forever left an indelible stain on the origins of the Americas. The racially, politically, and spiritually, even morally, ineptness of the European slave traders, to see value in human life and the human spirit continues to challenge our ability to be civil in addressing the inequities between the races. We have been permanently and perpetually crippled to the notion of advancing any dialogue on race relations as a result of what happened 4,400 years ago. We look now to someone in our text who was crippled. In our gospel lesson, we find there to be a challenge of classic rabbinic debate going on here because you see this text in Luke's gospel has to do with laws and liberation. And the government of God is being established here. Yes, there is a sign of God's kingdom coming into focus. There's a sign of God's kingdom coming into focus as the writer tells about the religious leader challenging Jesus indirectly, if you will, but directly on his decision to heal on the Sabbath. Yeah, that posed a huge and significant barrier in the context of worship and the customs that were to be honored. And so, yes, today we meet a woman as we commemorate 400 years of slavery who has no name. So many at that time had no names or their names stripped. This unnamed woman is in bondage. Bondage, this word has all kinds of connotations. The denotations would tell us that she was enslaved, snared, by the evil one. Today, the text tells us that she was in bondage to Satan for 18 years, bent over for 18 years. As I think about this woman, I cannot help but think about my ancestors in bondage. And as I think about them, I remember one of my professors at Union. She's now the dean at Vanderbilt university seminary professor emily towns about this woman wrote for 18 years this unnamed woman must strain to see the sun the sky and the stars for 18 years she has been accustomed to looking down or just slightly ahead but never upward without difficulty For 18 years, her world has been one of turning from side to side to see what those who stand upright can see with just a glance. She is used to this, and no one questions her fate. No one questions her fate. Just as this woman did not ask for healing, my ancestors did not ask to be enslaved, Just as this woman, even though she may have been ridiculed, talked about, and cast aside, she still went to the synagogue for worship. Just as she did that, my ancestors enslaved, beaten, mutilated, still worshipped the God they knew from their ancestors and their Christian faith. Just as this woman was in bondage, my ancestors were in bondage. And I would even say today there are some of us In bondage to our own vices. But what is unique about this text? Not only is it just in Luke's gospel, what's unique is that this bondage was not self-inflicted. You know, often at that period in time, it would be wondered if the person had committed some evil or some sin had been perpetuated against them or their lineage. The bondage that this woman faced was inflicted upon her by Satan. Oh, as I reflect over these 400 years, no matter what the history books say, this bondage was inflicted upon my people by Satan. What are the things that are keeping us in bondage today? What are the things crippling us today? What are the things that enslave us today? Some of us don't even realize some of the thoughts we've had or some of the experiences, those things which may have crippled us for longer than we would have liked. And as we look at this text, this woman who was crippled and did not ask for healing, but received a healing. You see, this text gives us a just position between loss and liberation. Well, the wonderful thing about healing is God sees... God sees and God knows. Jesus caught her eye. Just to note, he had to bend over to see her, to see her eye. Because the text tells us, again, she could not stand up straight. The God whom we serve will meet you where you are, just as God met our unnamed sister in the gospel. The God that we serve will bend over to see you face to face. God doesn't just walk on by or dismiss your presence, because I'm sure that for many years, 18 years, she had been in this predicament with her ailment, which is not named, but perhaps with something spinal, she had grown accustomed to people just passing her by, She had grown accustomed to people just moving on about her, allowing her to just shuffle along in the crowd, studying the ground, looking at their feet, never ever stopping to see her eye to eye, never ever seeing the dignity in her. And what does Jesus do? He announces her freedom. He tells her, woman, you are set free from your ailment. He pronounces her healing lays hands upon her, and she straightens up and rejoices. And while there is enough in itself to rejoice, yes, there's enough here to shout hallelujah about. There's enough to praise God, as we see she did in this text. We see there are those around ready to rebuke her. Yes, ready to offer an untoward word, not just about her, not just in her presence, never directly to the individual. You see, the Pharisees spoke to Jesus indirectly, but directly, and the Pharisees spoke about her indirectly, but directly. Yes, it's uncomfortable when people see you and whisper. It's uncomfortable when you enter the room and they're talking about you as if you don't know when silence comes your way. But yet here God is available. God is available and did not forget about her, did not overlook her, did not pass her by. But this God stopped, spoke to her, bid her to come, offered a proclamation of healing, and yes here healing means liberation, and touches her. I think that's a beautiful thing. How do I know that these things happen? When I look back at this text, I see that this woman, again, who spoke not a word, her praise didn't come until the very end. She didn't come, again, asking for anything. She didn't come asking for healing, but she came expecting just to be a part of the fellowship, just to be in the gathering, to be a part of worship. And how many of us, when we hit hard moments in life, find ourselves stepping back from worship? Instead of being a part of the experience and the fellowship, we feel as if we, with our own self-conscious ways and thoughts, that we can't be among the gathered, that we can't offer God our praise, that we can't pray in a way that God would hear. But sisters and brothers, I think to hear in this text, Jesus speaking to her says that he heard her unuttered prayers. He knew her by name. He knew her predicament and the ailment that she carried for 18 years. And he knew that she was in need of liberation. He knew that she needed a healing. While the text didn't give her any voice, the text did not give her a name, the text did not tell us about her marital status, it didn't tell us if she had children, I would venture to guess she might have been unmarried or perhaps even widowed because she showed up alone. She didn't have an advocate. She didn't have anyone there mediating for her except Jesus, and oh, what a wonderful thing. When I look back over the history of my ancestors and see the trajectory of their experiences, they were, and they were many, they were resigned, many of them, to remain as they were for the remainder of their lives. Customs and traditions and even laws were working against them. And here the law, the religious law, was working against our unnamed sister. When I look back, Look back over the 400 years of slavery and the emancipation when it came, and the civil rights movement when it came, and the Voting Rights Act when it came. The people could not imagine. They couldn't imagine liberation. They couldn't imagine healing. So I would think that my sister, our unnamed woman in this text, could not imagine her healing and the ability to simply straighten up. That's the power of our God in this text. That's the power of our God in this text. And yes, as we see from the cover, this woman may have thought, as Frederick Douglass wrote, I prefer to be true to myself, even at the hazard of incurring the ridicule of others, rather than to be false and to incur my own abhorrence. She was true to herself in going to worship, she was true to herself in taking a step to walk in the midst of the crowd, even though people passed her by, didn't stop to look at her. Jesus had to have compassion to take a moment to look her in the eye. And yes, she here has an opportunity to not only experience full liberation and healing— there is a moment for Jesus to teach that we see, even in our history here, that history has shown us just because it's the law doesn't make it right. You see, just because it was the law not to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus turns this indirect yet direct proposition on its head. He says, you hear... With your ox and your donkey, untie them to get water. You care that your animal needs water. And he uses that word to untie your oxen or donkey, and we look at that in the Greek. That same word, to untie, Jesus is using in his wordplay to give this woman liberation to untie her from her bondage of 18 years, to untie her from the grips of Satan, to untie her from this debilitating condition. She needs liberation. And isn't she as worthy as your oxen and your donkey? Isn't the human spirit of value to you? Yes, it might not be in your jurisdiction, Uh, to do these things, but I come to proclaim life, and that more abundantly. So yes, in this time of loss and liberation, I thank God for this woman's opportunity to praise God, this woman's opportunity to now walk with the hope of the abundant life. This woman who offers up a contentious Pharisee, yes, the religious leader, who, because he did not see her worth, would have held her up if Jesus had called for anything other than calling her forward straightway as an individual. She would not have had the liberation she had because the law held her bound. I want to encourage you, my sisters and brothers, that today, whatever it is that you may have been subjected to or even bound by, God sees and God knows. And through our Savior, through Jesus the Christ, there is liberation even for you.